0: Sing for your luncheon and you'll get dinner Dine with wine of choice If romance is in your
1: voice Hi there, I'm Chloe Veltman and this is Voicebox, KALW's weekly music show dedicated to exploring the art of the human voice and the best of the vocal music scene from the Bay Area and beyond. Thanks for joining me this evening. In the world of folk and pop music, it's not unusual for groups of musicians to sing at the same time as they play their instruments. Though there may only be one lead singer, backing singers on guitars, keyboards and even drums often make their vocal presence felt. Here's an easy example. Every Little Thing She Does Is Magic, a 1981 song by the British rock group The Police. All three band members, bass guitarist Sting, guitarist Andy Summers and drummer Stuart Copeland, use their voices as well as play their instruments at the same time. Just joined us, hello! You're tuned into VoiceBox on KALW with me, Chloe Veltman. We just heard Every Little Thing She Does Is Magic, a 1981 song by the British rock group The Police. All three band members, bass guitarist Sting, guitarist Andy Summers, and drummer Stuart Copeland, use their voices as well as play their instruments simultaneously. The members of Western pop groups and folk ensembles have long combined the skills of playing their instruments and singing. Simultaneous playing and singing is far less common in the world of Western chamber music, however. Choral groups generally sing a cappella or are accompanied by separate musicians, and instrumentalists mostly keep their mouths firmly shut. On this week's programme, we're going to look at some daring chamber music groups that have taken on the task of combining simultaneous instrumental and vocal to create a multifaceted, beautiful sound. We'll also look at specific instances where composers ask chamber instrumentalists to take on the task of singing and vice-versa. I'm excited to have with me in the studio the members of the Real Vocal String Quartet, a string ensemble based here in the Bay Area that specialises in singing while playing their stringed instruments. It gives me great pleasure to introduce Irene Sazer and Alyssa Rose, who both play the violin, violist Dina Maccabee, and cellist Jessica Ivry. Irene, Alyssa, Dina, and Jessica also all sing. Hello, ladies. Thanks for coming into the studio this evening. Thanks. Thank Hello. you for having us. Hello. Hello. The Real Vocal String Quartet has a show coming up at the Freight and Salvage on May the 8th in Berkeley. I'd encourage all of you to get out and see that. The group is also making a bit of voice box history tonight by becoming the first string quartet ever to have performed live on the show. So thank you for taking that on. Over the next hour, we'll hear the group play and sing and chat about what it takes to combine the distinct skills of playing stringed instruments and singing. We've also got an exciting ticket giveaway coming up, so stay tuned.
2: Let's kick off now with some live music. What piece are you going to treat us to? The first song we're going to play is called Machine, and it's by Regina Spector.
1: And it's arranged by Alyssa Rose. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay, fantastic. Let's hear it. Uh, my
0: eyes are by phone, my hands are set, joined. I live in the future, in my pre war apart.
1: KLW's weekly show all about the human voice and the best of the vocal music scene from the Bay Area and beyond. I'm in the studio tonight with the members of the Real Vocal String Quartet, a Bay Area-based ensemble whose members often sing at the same time as they play their instruments. It was really remarkable just now seeing you all do that. I don't know, how how do you actually manage to keep your strings going at the same time as as singing? That just seems like you know, the old patting your stomach and rubbing your head all the other way
3: around at the same time. It's a little tricky, I'd say, for violins and violas. You'll have to tell us your experience, Jess. But having the instrument right near our vocal cords, resting right on our bodies, makes it a little like crossed wires in the brain and our ears. And we work at it.
1: The group provided me with the inspiration for a program looking at the phenomenon of chamber music compositions that combine instrumental playing with vocal lines. And we just heard the Real Vocal Quartet perform live in the studio. The piece, as we just heard, was Machine by Regina Spector, arranged by a member of the group, Alyssa Rose. Thanks again for that sublime performance. Mm. Now I guess this topic is an odd one for the radio because listeners can't actually see that you're playing and singing at the same time, so (laughs) I'll just have to take that on trust. So, Irene, I gather that you started the group. Can you tell us how you came up with the idea for a string quartet that everyone sings
3: in two? Well, I used to play with the Turtle Island String Quartet. I was an original member of that band, which was very exciting, kind of breaking new ground as improvisers and writers and arrangers. And I always had it in my mind that I wanted to sing then because I had two lives. I was playing violin as I grew up and studying, but I was also... Um, kind of being a singer-songwriter in my own bedroom with, you know, guitar. And um, I've always just simply loved to play and sing. And for many years, didn't really know if or how that would go together. But it was it was just a natural progression. So there wasn't an epiphany moment then? It sort of just developed organically then, the It idea? really did. I think that it, it, you know, I definitely worked at it a lot. I mean, there are pieces that I have... Worked on just for violin and voice. I know some other people in the group do that too. Um, uh, so it's it's a it's a leap, okay. definitely in when, technique. When did you found the group? Um, I believe it was two thousand three, and I had started writing music. Um, just I I was a mom. I was um, parenting for a few years and not being very creative, and I just started music pieces because I needed to. It was out of desperation to be creative and um, I found Jess and then we found the other members of the group and we found that our interests and our tastes had a lot of overlap and our sensibilities about um, being adventurous continue to this day.
1: Do you find that there are a lot of people in the Bay Area community or even the country at large who do what you do in terms of this type of playing and
0: singing together? Well, um, it's interesting. When I was first exposed to um, old-time string band music, and um, this happens in bluegrass somewhat too, but I think even more so in old time, there there's this really strong tradition from Appalachia of um, singing and playing fiddle at the same time. Um, and there's, um, I shouldn't not mention Bruce Molsky, who um, has made DVDs and, and is kind of like um, putting that out there into the world as something that people can learn to do so I actually I think kind of got into that or was exposed to that after this group and then I was like oh maybe we didn't actually invent this <laughs> mm-hmm. okay <laughs> um, so it's definitely out there
3: and actually it it creates an octet really when right. we're using our voices yeah, not within just five band, yeah, band. yeah that's yeah, true an octet. Yeah, yeah right yeah
1: you know, there are four people and and eight instruments which is essentially. Uh, one of the great advantages, I suppose, people, to put it crudely, will feel like they're getting great bang for their buck,
3: you know. Well, and it's exciting as a composer and arranger because it gives you so many voices to play with. That's true, that's true. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit, all of you, about your
1: backgrounds as musicians? Just a little summary of how, you know, wh- how, where you
4: trained and, and how you got into what you're doing. This is Jessica. Sure. Um, I, well, I trained at the San Francisco Conservatory of Music in classical music, but I've been very much drawn to um, Balkan music so, and pop and a lot of pop music. So soon after I graduated college, I joined two bands. One was a pop band and uh, one was a Balkan-inspired band, Balkan and Eastern European-inspired band. So um, I tried to figure out how to play my cello in a really fun environment that... Um, that doesn't, you know, cello's not often in a lot of that music, but um, how can I still be learning that music? So, what was the question? Did I answer the question? <laughs> just Yeah, just about your background. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, But a bit, but classically trained. Okay. Absolutely. Dina, what about
0: you? Well, I went to music school in Michigan, um, where I studied classical viola, but um, there were some teachers there, one in particular, Ed Serath, who led a... Um, A collective improv group called the creative arts orchestra and he was really keen on getting string players to kind of let loose and i didn't actually need much encouragement in that department so (laughs) um i started being encouraged to improvise there and that's where i met a lot of people who um i've been playing with ever since playing rock music and, um, and writing my own songs. I also have um, some groups of my own that I write songs for. So I would, I'd say, I think like Irene, I've had some parallel developments between classical music and really um, you know, digging into the technique of, of string instruments because um, they don't play themselves. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then simultaneously working on, on craft of songwriting and improvising and then this is a, just a wonderful place to put them together.
2: Okay, thanks. What about you, Alyssa? Um, I grew up in Wisconsin, and um, I was trained as a classical violinist, but as a kid, I did some fiddle contests, and um, in middle school, I played with the southern Wisconsin old-time fiddlers, cool. whose average age was maybe 80, including <laughs> me, but it was a lot of fun, uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, I sort of let it go and went to music school in San Francisco, and then um, started looking for something else and started playing with singer-songwriters and some more bluegrass, and I have uh, been enjoying playing lots of kinds of music ever since.
3: Irene. Um, I was raised as a classical violinist in a family with a, a father who was a cellist, and but my mother loved to sing folk songs, so maybe that's kind of part of my duality as a musician. And I studied and I went to Peabody Conservatory. And um, I'm, I'm a little bit older than the rest of the women in this group, and at that time it was pretty weird to be wanting to improvise on the violin. And um, I made friends with drummers and sax players and guitarists and heard um, Coltrane and charlie berker and just everybody i got exposed through friends more than anything to other styles of music and i remember there was a period of time where i was really trying to find a jazz teacher and i'd go talk to a pianist and they'd say no you play the violin that's and then a guitarist would tell me the same thing and Hmm. so i i kind of had to figure it out for myself for a long time (laughs) okay well have you had to any of you all of you had
1: to in some ways unlearn certain techniques from your classical training in order to be able to perform the music you perform as part of this (laughs) group?
4: Okay. Vibrato. Vibrato. Vibrato Vibrato vibrato. is a big um, classical music default, Mm -hmm. I would say, ornament. I think of it as an ornament. And um, I think also when you're adding voices, like we are, we definitely can't add vibrato because it might alter the pitch. And so when we're trying to be um, accurate intonation-wise, not just with our instruments, but with our voices, I think if we added vibrato in, it would change the texture or the feeling, and it might even affect the intonation.
1: That's very interesting.
2: You wanna add something, Elisa, to that? One of the other things that's really different than classical music is um, how, how we approach rhythm. Mm-hmm. I think in, um, in classical music, rhythm is used sort of expressively to shape phrases. And in a lot of what we're doing, it's more folk music based. And so rhythm is, is a very different thing that, that is more continuous and less expressive. And I think that's one of the harder things to switch, actually, as a, as a string player. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay.
1: Maybe
4: harder than vibrato.
1: <laughs> Maybe harder than vibrato. So, besides Jessica on cello, who's sitting on a chair with her large instrument right now, the rest of you like to stand while you play, which is not very conventional for a string quartet. Why do you do that?
3: More freedom. Just feels good physically. And I'm sure it has something to do with us singing as well.
0: It's if nice I remember to right, it came from when we were working on Chorale, one of the pieces that um, is on our record. Right, and we'll hear a bit of that later on in the show, actually. So I think, um, you know, that piece was a stretch for us all as singers because it's so exposed, and I think we were, we were trying to work on vocal technique, and we thought, oh, don't you normally stand up when you sing? Um, so we tried that, and we felt a lot better singing standing up, so it's fine to play standing up too.
1: Okay, okay. Three of you have your instruments right up by your vocal apparatus, you're holding your violins and violas up there. Um, It's not like playing a guitar, for instance, where the instrument is an easy distance from the vocal cords. How does the positioning of your violins and viola affect the way you sing?
2: I think it's less about the position of the instrument for me and more that I've always thought about my violin as a voice. Oh, okay. And that there's no frets, so when I'm adjusting the pitch on my violin, um, it's hard not to also adjust the pitch of my voice. It's hard to separate them in my brain because they feel sort of like the same thing.
0: I have to say, like, if there are any um, cognitive scientists or neuroscientists out there who are interested in doing <laughs> a study, like, there, yeah. there, is, there are definitely, absolutely, some like neural circuits that are involved in playing violin and singing definitely. that are that are yes. the same. It's like the same circuit, and then you're trying. It feels like you're trying to overload it. And one of the funniest things that we've all found is dynamics. Like, if you try to play a different dynamic on your violin or viola than you're singing. Or cello, actually, this is true okay. for that too. No matter where it is, on under your ear or down, down, you know, at, at knee level, like it's. I think it's impossible. <laughs>
3: okay. And I think that there are some things that are easier. Like if you're singing louder than playing,
0: it's easier. I That's think okay. it's easier. Yeah, right. But if
3: you try to play louder and sing more delicately, we find stuff like that. Or if we're singing in harmony with a line as we're playing it, it's sometimes bizarre what happens. It's it's easier to <laughs> sing, I think, above. And have our instrument be below, but if we put
4: our instrument above and try to sing below, it's crazy. I I don't know if this happened because of our voice ranges, but we tend to sing the parts that we would play in this quartet. (laughs) So I am actually, so Irene and Alyssa sing the high treble. And uh Dina's in the tanner area and then I'm often in the bass. And that's that, interesting. And um but I am like I know that I am an alto, so if I try to sing some of those high, you know, I can't go much higher than a G. It's well really maybe hard. that's
0: why we picked the instruments that we picked. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Although
4: yeah, well, that's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I think uh, some
0: neuroscientists
1: and musicologists would have an absolute not even a field day, it would be like a field decade with you guys. <laughs> Let's talk a bit about warm-ups. Uh, do you how do you warm up your voices and your instruments? Are there specific things that you do separately or do you do the same kinds of exercises on both?
0: Well, it's, do you go about that? it's funny because, um, you know, you've talked a little about how we draw from different musical cultures, but um, every musical culture has its own warm-up <laughs> culture yeah. too, so we've drawn on, on bits of that too. Um for our um, instruments we like to and, and actually it's something that we've had fun with trying to combine for example playing um, either playing a drone note on our instruments um, and then singing a scale above that drone or asking Jesse to play a low note on the cello to hold a, a pitch um, and then we can sing over that and then we try to switch it and the only problem is that there's actually infinite combinations mm-hmm. that we can do and it's it's really fun and it actually has generated some musical material that way too but we've all been in I think we all have uh, for more technical training instrumentally than vocally, I would say, but we've also all been in choirs, and, and um, it's really fun to remember like the little vocal warm-ups that we learned in high school jazz choir or whatever it was. So, so
1: you bring those out then on occasion?
0: Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, do you practice
1: the vocal lines separately from
3: the string ones? Mm-hmm. We do. We spend some time doing that with, with almost every piece Now there aren't too many
1: string ensembles that do what the real vocal string quartet does, though composers who write for string quartets are becoming increasingly intrigued these days with the notion of incorporating vocal techniques into string music. Let's listen now to music by two Bay Area string quartets that have worked with voice on occasion. First, we'll hear from the Kronos Quartet, which was probably among the first ensembles to experiment with adding voice to the string quartet format. We'll listen to the second movement from a work entitled Black Angels for Electric String Quartet by George Crumb. The piece was written in 1971 as a response to the Vietnam War. It was the first work that the Kronos Quartet ever performed and it includes <laughs> shouts, chants, whispers and moments of percussion in addition to the string playing. Then we'll hear part of a live recording made by the Del Sol String Quartet, also based around here in the Bay Area. The piece is the second movement, the Allegro Energico, from Canadian composer R. Murray Schafer's String Quartet No. 3. From 1981. The track was recorded very recently on April the 1st as part of the Old First Concert series right here in San Francisco. <laughs> Tuned into VoiceBox on KALW. This evening, with help from the members of the Real Vocal String Quartet who are with me in the studio, we're looking at instrumental chamber groups that combine singing and playing instruments simultaneously. We just heard from two renowned local string quartets that have experimented on occasion with vocal effects. First, we heard the second movement from Black Angels, a piece for Electric String Quartet by George Crumb. The work comes from 1971 and includes shouts, chants, whispers, and moments of percussion in addition to the string playing. Then we heard from the Del Sol string quartet with the second movement, Allegro Energico, from the Canadian composer R. Murray Schaffer's string quartet number no. three from 1981. The track was recorded on April 1st, 2011, as part of the Old First Concert series here in San Francisco. So let me ask you, my special guests tonight, what do you think of the way in which composers like Sheffer and Crum, whom we just heard write for String Quartet, in terms of how they combine vocal lines with the string lines? Do you think this is effective
3: writing? Mm. Extremely effective, yeah. Very exciting sound. Um, uh, you mentioned the word precise. It's, it's interesting to hear it. It's so precise and uh, adds a lot of drama.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, that... Uh, that piece that we heard by the Kronos Quartet is, of course, an iconic
1: piece, right? But the, the precision with which those guys are, are intoning those words, they are, they, they're kind of scary. I don't know if anyone listening at home jumped out of their seats there. but I
3: I also really appreciate um, the Kronos and, and composers who are writing this way just for breaking down barriers and creating new sounds and being experimental. It opens the door wider for everyone else.
1: So earlier on in the show, you played a piece of music which one of you had arranged, especially f- for the group. Can you tell me more about your compositional process? Do, you, do other composers write for you too, or do you write all your own music?
3: It's all self-generated music. So some of our pieces are original, and some of our pieces are original songs, where the voice is actually a lead vocal. And then we have a lot of fun as arranging as arrangers, Do you all compose? Yes. Yes. Every one of us. (laughs) Wow. And how do you
1: go about developing your pieces? Like, uh, maybe you all have different processes, but I'd love to hear a little bit about
4: what some of you do. I was going to say the process for Machine I thought was kind of neat because Alyssa brought bits of it. Well, Well, the first thing is she said, I want to arrange this piece and sent us the recording so we could hear it and then brought little bits of it and she'd record it on her recording device. and then. So just to hear back, but we give feedback like, oh, well, maybe this should be an octave down, or maybe this texture, or we try to just make sounds because I think your whole goal was to get it to sound like a machine, and it really does. Yes. Yeah, so we were trying to find sounds, and um, but what I thought was neat was that every time she'd come back with a different iteration of the tune, it'd be like that much more developed. And it, you know, I think there were maybe ten, at least times ten <laughs> versions that were you know, it was just getting it was getting to the fully realized version that we have today
3: and it's pretty luxurious and wonderful to be a composer or an arranger and be able to just bring it in and have the musicians play it and then you can take it back and tinker with it that's pretty special how do you go about writing lyrics
0: Mm. i'd say that's probably the most individual among the four of us um and that's one of the few things that we don't collaborate on so much, actually. I think that writing song lyrics is, remains sort of a personal endeavor, and that's what I have to say about <laughs> that. Well,
3: who knows? Maybe, you know, Sorry. now you're planting a little seed of an idea that yeah. we should be collaborative with lyrics. It's a, a, a potential. She's thinking about it. She's looking mm-hmm. sceptical, but well, you know, <laughs> lyrics—if
1: if they're poetry, as they often are—you know—a very, yeah. kind of very personal statement in a way. But then so is music. Yeah. Well, typically, or maybe there isn't a typical for this, but. When you're each writing, do you f- tend to find that the lyrics come first, or does the instrumental line, or does some kind of vocal line come first, Is there, or is it, does it depend? Boy, it's always
3: the- depended for me. I mean, some tunes, it's a bass line that comes into my head.
0: Some tunes, it's totally stream of consciousness singing. I
3: don't know about for you guys.
0: Yeah, it really, I try to uh, be an open vessel for any of those <laughs> <laughs> to be the, the seedling that, that sprouts into a song or a composition, so...
1: I gather that improvisation is a major component of what you do. How did you get into
3: improvising? In a way, aside from just the fact that we're all interested in improvising, there's a, a, just a fearlessness of it, and we jump in and do it. And we do it within structures of tunes where, like a jazz player, you're playing over a set of chords. Um, but we, we practice almost every single performance, we do some completely free improvisation. And we're always discovering new territory.
4: I think you said as a group, I I was just going to say, I think one thing is that clearly we were all interested in other genres, staying on our classical instruments, but exploring other genres with it. And so one of the biggest, for me anyway, genres that I was first drawn to was jazz. And that has a lot of improvisation. And I think then to see if you can just, take that idea of improvisation to other types of music whether it's bluegrass tune and put in a solo where maybe in a traditional one they wouldn't solo or something so um I just always, push the boundary that way
3: and i always like to remember to remind myself that um classical music also came from a tradition of improvising in much of its history and Really, where does music come from except from improvisation? I mean, a piece really is a more developed, slower improvisation. So I have never really seen that much division. Okay. Yeah.
1: Well, I'd love to hear some of your improvising now. Can we have a short piece right here in the studio? Sure. Oh that was so beautiful. Thanks very much, ladies. <laughs> On tonight's voice box, all about chamber music groups that combine singing with playing, we just heard the Real Vocal String Quartet improvising live in the studio. Founded in 2003, the ensemble includes violinists Irene sazer and Alyssa Rose, violist Dina Maccabee and cellist Jessica Ivory. The Real Vocal String Quartet is performing a show at the Freight & Salvage Coffee House and Folk Club this Sunday, May the 8th which brings me to tonight's fantastic Voicebox giveaway. If you'd like to win a pair of free tickets to see the real vocal string quartet in action at the Freight this Sunday, just send us an email with your brief answers to these questions. What do you like best about Voicebox? And what do you think we can do better? (laughs) Email your thoughts, a couple of lines or even bullet points will do to info at voicebox-media.org that's info at voicebox-media.org. The first answer we receive will win a pair of free tickets to the Real Vocal String Quartet's performance this Sunday evening, May the 8th, at the Freight and Salvage in Berkeley. We're looking forward to hearing from you. Now, the Freight and Salvage very occasionally presents classically trained musicians, but mostly it's a folk venue. You guys are obviously inspired by a wide range of musical genres and styles. We've touched upon a few of them, like jazz, for example. Can you tell us about some of your musical influences
3: please? We have quite a lot of musical influences and con- consider the whole world open to, um, to, well, exploration. And the world is so small these days. So I know that I personally in the last few years have been very influenced by um, artists from regions in Africa like Kenya and Mali and extremely influenced by pop music and rock music and really want to spend all the days of my life as a musician exploring (laughs) and uh, figuring out how to make the music that really speaks to me and really moves me um, something I can do with my instrument. Anyone want to add anything to that
1: wonderful
0: stuff from Irene?
4: Sweden, Sweden. Oh, we do love. <laughs> um, well, yeah. Go ahead. You
0: know. Well, I was just gonna say, like, um, so Irene mentioned that the the world is a place we like to explore, and it's really fun to explore um, through the vehicle of um, violin, and everywhere the violin has traveled um, over the world, and I know we've all been really deeply influenced by other string players that we've heard on recordings and also seen in person who come from different parts of the world um one of the groups that is a huge influence on the whole uh creative string community is Vessen which is a Swedish uh power trio of (laughs) uh five string viola and nickel harpa and the guitar Alyssa arranged one of their tunes for us to play but just hearing their sounds and their sonority um and the, the way that they groove has been a big influence on us
3: I think it's also interesting to try to make our instruments sound like other instruments. That's a whole other challenge that we get into as well.
1: That's true. There are songs I've heard of yours where you, it sounds like you're playing a bunch of guitars half the time, yeah, and different assorted percussion instruments, of course, and mm-hmm. other strange things. <laughs> this is Voicebox on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco. Oh, water. On tonight's Voice Box, here on KALW 91.7 FM, I'm in the studio with a real vocal string quartet. We're looking at the phenomenon of chamber music compositions that combine instrumental playing with vocal lines. At the start of the show, I briefly touched upon the long tradition of folk musicians who are very comfortable playing and singing at the same time. This of course is a much less common phenomenon for classically trained musicians like some of the string quartets from which we've been hearing tonight. We just listened to a track by an unusual ensemble that gracefully straddles the worlds of classical and bluegrass music and other things. Abigail Washburn and the Sparrow Quartet is an American acoustic music group that was founded in 2005. Its members include Abigail Washburn who is a banjo player and a vocalist, Bella Fleck on banjo also, Casey Dreesen, violin, and the cellist Ben Soli. The track was Captain from the group's debut album, which was released in 2008. So what do you think of ensembles like the Sparrow Quartet, which combine less standard instrumental
2: combinations?
1: I love it. <laughs> okay, listen. why? What's so inspiring to you about it?
2: Um, they have a really wide palette of, of different colours and different textures. And um, as a lover of folk music and classical music, I'm always glad to hear how they can be combined and draw on the best of both worlds.
1: To what extent do you alter your vocal stylings depending on whether you're performing a folk or pop music type track or a more classically styled piece?
0: I try not to alter it at all. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) That's my own personal approach and it comes from hearing myself back on recordings in which I have consciously or unconsciously tried to stylize my voice to fit and and I usually hear it back and say oh that doesn't actually sound like me um, so there's of course questions of blending if we're doing a choral type of scenarios when of course we're going to try to blend with each other but I actually try to um, preserve one of, I guess the one of the most non-classical aspects of singing in this group and other groups I do is I try to preserve kind of my own um, natural unaffected vocal style as much as that is a real thing
1: well, you know, it's interesting um, because to my ear, sometimes you guys sound very different depending on the song. Um, I find it fascinating to hear the difference between sometimes the more breathy singer-songwriter style that I hear in some of your songs versus perhaps the more straight-toned choral style singing, um, which may not be conscious, but I he- I hear it. Well, now, I mean,
0: uh, call me a hypocrite because the two tunes we... Um play on this show today one of which i actually am kind of hollering um as inspired by cajun singers so you can throw out the window what i said but
1: <laughs> okay well i'd like to play extracts from a couple of contrasting tracks from your album um first up let's listen to darling and then we'll hear "Corral." Here on Voice Box with me, Chloe Veltman, we're talking about chamber music compositions that combine instrumental playing with vocal lines. With me in the studio are the four members of the Real Vocal String Quartet, a local group that specialises in combining these two skills. We just heard a pair of tracks from the quartet's album, which display contrasting approaches to vocal styling. The first was Darling, which actually featured guitar line from a wonderful local guitarist, Eric Pearson, and the second song was Chorale. Now here's an odd question for you. You play such a wide variety of styles of music and your approach, combining a traditional string quartet format with singing is a pretty unusual one in some ways the real vocal string quartet defies description which can be its greatest asset but as well it can be a challenge how do you go about branding and marketing yourselves in a world which so often seeks to compartmentalize (laughs) artists
0: we're all laughing because we're booking a tour right now and trying to send out promotional materials and it is Really tough. Like you said, I mean, it's nice to be able to sort of chameleon ourselves in some ways. Like, we can pitch ourselves to a classical festival because we can rewrite our thing to make it sound like that's what we are, or we can pitch ourselves to a folks festival. But when you're trying to just pitch ourselves to the world in general, You can't say all those things because it just turns into a mishmash so it's very confusing yeah
3: it's funny one of the things that we've decided because we've talked about well who is our demographic so one thing we know for sure is that public radio is our demographic (laughs) (laughs) right you've
1: had quite a bit of airplay on KALW lately which is fantastic okay we've spent all of our time this evening until now concentrating on string chamber ensembles whose members also sing I'm also curious about vocal-instrumental combinations in other instrumental families, though. It's interesting how tricky it is to come up with examples. I mean, obviously, singing isn't something that wind and brass players commonly participate in because singing while playing an oboe or French horn isn't very practical. In the world of chamber vocal music, occasionally one comes across a piece where the composer asks the singers to play instruments. Percussion is the most common instrument family employed in these kinds of works. The Chinese composer Tan Dun employs singers on things like rocks and Tibetan finger bells in his water passion. One of my favourite works for chamber choir, The Little Match Girl Passion by David Lang, also asks the vocal quartet, comprising of two sopranos, a tenor and a bass baritone, to play a variety of instruments while singing, such as crotales and glockenspiels. We're not talking about the occasional scrape of a guero or ting of a triangle here. The percussion playing is pretty technical, requiring as much artistry in places as the singing. Let's listen now to the final section from the work, which won the Pulitzer Prize in 2008. The recording was made by Paul Hillier and the Theatre of Voices. That was the final section from David Lang's Little Match Girl Passion. In the piece, all the members of the vocal quartet play percussion instruments as well as sing. The recording was made by Paul Hillier and the Theatre of Voices. We're getting pretty close to the end of this evening's show, alas. In a few minutes, I'll have tonight's wonderful guests, the members of the Real Vocal String Quartet, a Bay Area based string ensemble whose members often sing while playing, to play us out with another live track right here in the studio. But first, let me ask you guys one more question. Do you think we're going to start to see many more pieces which ask singers to also play musical instruments and vice versa? In what direction is this at the moment small hybrid niche headed, do you think?
0: I think the more players who have demonstrated that they're willing to do it, like some like Del Sol and and people that you mentioned, the more composers are likely to jump on that. Um, You know, it saves them uh, personnel. Right. To have to. um, No, I I would imagine it would be inspiring um, for other composers, although to be fair, you know, Black Angels has been around for a long time. So and I don't know that it really has any direct descendants, but it, it may. I'm not that hip to new chamber music these days, so maybe Irene.
3: Well, I, I have a, a take on it as a teacher. I see that that it's becoming more of a norm for students to be interested in playing in different styles, and um, I think the next generation of string players will consider a lot more things just part of life. I see that um, even in my own teaching studio, lots and lots and lots of people are hearing recordings and um, thinking, I can do that. So hopefully it will continue.
1: Thanks so much, Irene, Alyssa, Dina and Jessica of The Real Vocal String Quartet for joining me in the studio tonight. It's been smashing chatting with you and a real treat to hear you perform. Thanks for having us.
3: Yeah, thank you so much.
1: You can find out more about the quartet by visiting its website at www.rvsq.com. Voicebox is produced at the studios of KALW in San Francisco. The series producer is Seth Samuel, the web editor is Victoria Lim, and the membership and development director is John Bischoff. Voicebox can only exist with support from you, our listeners. To find out how you can become more involved with Voicebox, including how to make a tax-deductible donation to keep us on the air, please visit our website at voicebox-media.org. Donating is safe, easy and, best of all, tax deductible through our online PayPal link. Voicebox is now available as a free weekly podcast on iTunes and via voicebox-media.org. If you like what you hear, do feel free to send us a donation. Please friend us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And you can also write to us anytime at info at voicebox-media.org. On next week's show, we'll be revisiting one of our favourite shows from last year, all about the careers of prodigious young singers whose voices have to be carefully nurtured to ensure long-term survival. The acclaimed lyric soprano Danielle Denise joins me for a discussion about how young singers can launch successful careers and maintain them without going the way of Julie Andrews or Britney Spears. So please tune in next Friday at 91.7 FM from 10 to 11 PM. We'll be back with a brand new slew of programmes once again starting the following week on May the 20th. Let's sign off tonight with another live performance from tonight's special guests, the Real Vocal String Quartet. Here's Allons à Lafayette, which is a traditional Cajun tune arranged by Dina Maccabee. Take it away, ladies. And to all of you wonderful listeners and lovers of song out there, have a songful week. One, two, three. One, two, three. <laughs>